when I was like five, I wanted to be a pop star in a girl <laughs> band, you know, like Spice Girls or something like that. And you kind of got there, right? Yeah, in my own way. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Define Talk. It's your host here, Sid, and my co-founder of Define Digital, Jamie. And we've got Dara Tiger Lily in here today. Hi, everyone. Hey, guys. Nice to see you both. I feel like this is going to be a special one, man. I've been looking forward to this for the past, what is it, month or so now? Yeah, it's been a while since we sort of uh, decided to to reach out to your team. And yeah, absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Sorry, I had to reschedule a few times. <laughs> it's been like a really weird couple of months with fitting everything in and gigs coming back. And oh yeah. my God, we're just trying to fit lots of stuff in. So thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Let's get straight into it. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your early life. Were you always a musical kid? Yeah. So my parents put me into like piano school and like music school when I was three, three and a half. And like we went to this music school, my sisters and I, where they classically trained you in piano, but also like singing and sight reading and composition and everything. So it was like a really holistic music school. And I actually stayed there till I was 18 um, and did music all throughout primary school and high school, played in a whole heap of orchestras and bands and everything, which was really fun. Um, and so, yeah, I never thought of doing music as a career, but it was definitely something that was a really, you know, obvious answer for me, seeing how much music I played as a kid mm -hmm. and as a teenager and how much I enjoyed it as well. So what was the dream growing up, if not to be a musician or a DJ? I, it changed. It changed a lot. So like when I was like five, I wanted to be a pop star in a girl band, you know, like Spice Girls or something like that. And you kind of got there, right? Yeah, in my own way. <laughs> and then I wanted to be a hairdresser for sure for a long time. Almost kind of got there as well. <laughs> um, and then in high school, I went to a selective girls high school. So there were like limited career options which were presented to us. You were either going to be like a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, in finance, and that was mm -hmm. kind of it, right? How um, boring. <laughs> I know, I know. I remember my sister, because my sisters all went to that same school, I remember them telling, you know, the teachers what I was doing post-uni, and they were like, of course, trust Dara to do something like non-conventional and non-academic. And I'm like, well, it's fun, you know? Mm. Anyway, so I went, I went to uni and I was going to study dentistry. So I did 12 months of science um, at Sydney University and absolutely hated every second of it. And I just thought, what am I doing? Mm. Like, this is a joke. I wanted to actually be an orthodontist. And it takes, I think, about 14 years to become an orthodontist because wow. you've got to do undergrad science degree, postgrad dentistry degree, then you've got to practice as a dentist and then you've got to go back and specialise, like study orthodontistry. And then I don't think you're, you can just come out of uni and be an orthodontist. You then have to practice with an orthodontist to get a licence, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So after one year, I was like, mm-mm, this mm. is not for me. And I was DJing on the side at the time. I'd just done your shot. And so, so this is 2011, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. And I was is, like… Is that the one that you did as well? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Funny story, represent. like, Dara had like 10,000 people at a show. I think my mum and my auntie were like <laughs> watching me. And it was I like, didn't even come to your show. <laughs> <laughs> I hustled my exactly. friends 
so hard for that. I haven't hustled anything as hard after your shop, but I think I sold like 100 tickets. And I was like to my friends, you better bring every single person you know. This is like my opportunity. This is the one. Paid off. Very good opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So was that your… So so you were actually DJing before that. That wasn't like your first introduction into the DJ world or… So I had a set of decks that I had played around with in my bedroom. And I'd played a few pub gigs like at the PAV. Um, I'd played a couple of times there. Um, I can't remember where else I'd played, but that was kind of it, Mm. you know. And I'm talking like 8 till 9.30 p.m. slots and me playing like the most random music. (laughs) Really, it's really poorly. How were you introduced uh, into DJing? Um, Through house parties, I think. When, you know, it was like 15, 16, Mm -hmm. people would start to have house parties and then back then they would often like hire a DJ. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I remember, like, looking at the DJs at these house parties and being, like, sick. And, like, they used to be called blue light discos. Now they're called, like, yeah. under 18 <laughs> or whatever. Very different these days. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I went to quite a few of them and just loved it. Mm. Just loved every element of it. But, like, never thought it was a career or even an option for a career, you know, because it just… I don't know, I suppose dance music was just kind of kicking off then. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went to my first, like, proper festival… A year out of, so it must have been 2010, mm-hmm. and that's when I was just like, "Whoa, okay, this is this epic." Is so, I so was be there a, a specific person that actually taught you how to DJ prior to your shot? Yes and no. So her name's Nat, and I actually used to date her back in the day, yep. um, and. Oh, God. <laughs> she like, I wanted to go there. Yeah, let's, let's go there. <laughs> she is actually a really, really, really great DJ and like technically an epic DJ. Um, and so we started dating and I was like, hey, can I steal your decks? And she was like, fine, why? I was like, I want to be a DJ too. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so she was awesome about it. She like, you know, taught me the basics and then just kind of gave me the decks and then just let me play around with them for mm. months kind of thing. Because it just takes such a long time. I remember the first time I looked at them, I was just thinking, how am I ever going to get my head around this? And she was like, oh, it's easy. You know, like you wrap your head around it. And she was right. But mm. it does take a lot of time to get really comfortable with it. Even now, like last weekend, after having kind of 12 months off of not really yeah. doing it and playing like three gigs in a row, I was like, what am I doing again? <laughs> what were those cue points that I really loved? I forgot. Ah. So like you just totally get out of the swing of things. Um, but yeah, so shout out to Nat because she really did help like teach me the basics before I did your shot. And I definitely think having a musical ear from like learning piano mm-hmm. and then having her kind of teach me the ins and outs um, before having my teacher Tass in your shot teach me mm-hmm. all of that. It was really helpful. Mm. Mm. So you've probably asked like a million times, but how did the name Tiger Lily come about? Yeah. <laughs> Good question though, because it is really random. Like it doesn't relate to me at all. When I was young, you know, I was saying I wanted to be a pop star in a girl group. I always thought that that would be a really cool name for a pop star. I don't know why. <laughs> um, and so when I was choosing my DJ name, this was kind of like before your shot. Mm. Um when I was, you know, doing my pub gigs at the PAV. 
I was talking to my mum and I had two name options that I liked. One being Tiger Lily and one being Bambi with like three eyes at the end. So I'm like, Bambi. <laughs> and I was like, what do you think about these names? And she's like, Bambi sucks. Tiger Lily it is. And I was like, okay, great. Thanks, mum. So Perfect. my mum ultimately decided it for me. <laughs> and so kind of looking back at your career so far, what do you? What would you say are the top kind of gigs, the real standout gigs that you've done? Mm. Yeah, it was a pretty colourful 10-year career up until this point, right? Yeah, it's been so Would you consider so 2011, awesome. 2021? Yeah, it's yeah. like this is my 10-year anniversary. Yeah. Isn't that That's so crazy? crazy? <laughs> you doing anything We're for it? old. Is there a big warehouse <laughs> party somewhere? Or? We've actually been thinking we should do yeah. something um, and just invite like, you know, Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> and just have like a whole heap of old crew play. Yeah. It would be really fun. Yeah. Um, standout gigs, definitely playing Tomorrowland um, yeah. in Europe was awesome because that was something that I'd always um, wanted to do because mm -hmm. it's just like one of those massive iconic festivals. Um, playing shows at really epic venues like Echo Stage in DC. Okay. Um, that was awesome. Like playing venues that... I wouldn't have known about before I was a DJ, but then, you know, you see all the big DJs, two are there and, you know, you want to play there mm. um, was was really pretty cool. But also playing like really intimate shows at places that I would never expect to find myself, whether mm. it's in like regional Australia or like I've played in Myanmar in Asia or like Panama, like yeah. really, really random places. They often have like the yeah. best festivals, you know. I remember getting booked for quite a lot of these random festivals in places that I had never heard of mm. and thinking, oh, no expectations whatsoever. And you go in and there's 20,000 people there and you're like, yeah. what it's is nuts. this? So I think having those unexpected moments was probably even more rewarding because you go in with no expectation of, you know, what's going to happen. So obviously, uh, you know, something that I understand a fair bit is the the stress of actually touring um, and the sort of ups and downs of this of this kind of career path, right? A lot of the times you're you're in the spotlight and everyone it's very easy for people to sort of look at it and say, you know, wow, what an amazing career. But there are what an amazing life. Yeah, what an amazing life. But there, there are a lot of sort of negative parts. What would you say are some of the the highlights of your role and some of the lowlights? Mm, such a good question because mm. like you only see the highlights, yeah. really. Highlights, of course, are traveling, yeah. playing epic shows, doing what you love and getting paid to do it. Like, yeah. what the heck? That is what awesome. Yeah. yeah. Having a bit of flexibility in regards to like scheduling and stuff, like being able to at a certain point pick and choose what you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, getting to be creative, working with people that you love. You know, we're not saving lives here. We're like, yeah. you know… Entertaining people. Entertaining people, which is awesome. But then with that comes so many negatives and I'm actually like really stoked and happy at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I've not been traveling that much yeah. because I've been able wow. to sleep heaps and mm -hmm. look after my health, health and play shows that are local, but then like kind of come home and have stability and routine again. So like your mental health when you're traveling is so important to look after because it's so easy for it to kind of decline because you're exhausted. You're either by yourself or just with one other person being like your tour manager yeah. or your photographer. You're like 
late nighting every night, potentially drinking quite yeah. a bit at yeah. shows, eating at random places. So you're like yeah. not getting the right nutrition, not able to work out or exercise. So like you ultimately feel like shit. Yeah. And then you got to hop on stage and pretend like, yeah, like you feel amazing. everything's yeah. great. Yeah. It's really hard. And I get so homesick. I'm like definitely a massive homebody. Yeah. So, and after meeting Scott, it was made a lot worse because, you know, when you want to be with someone and you can't because of work, it's really rough. So, like, five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, all those big tours I was doing were really hard because I was just so homesick the whole time. It's like two, three months at a time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I realized how bad it was for my mental health and Mm. so I kind of cut it down and I was doing three weeks max. That would be, like, my limit. Um, and my agents all really hated me. Not hated me, but were frustrated because, <laughs> they you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they wanted to just book heaps of shows. Yeah. But I wouldn't let them because I would know that I would just be like a crying wreck two weeks in and I'd just yeah. want to go home. And there's nothing worse than being stuck on the other side of the world and wanting to come home and knowing that you've got like… <laughs> shows to play. And, weeks yeah, to yeah. go. I remember doing like countdowns in my diary mm. being like only 14 days to go. But that feels like a lifetime when you're like not super happy. So I just so, want to yeah. ask you a question. Um, something that I sort of discovered in my touring days. Like, have you had one tour manager the whole time? Or how what's your tour manager situation? <laughs> mm, no, definitely <laughs> yeah. not. Um and I would be surprised if someone did yeah. have one tour manager the whole time. Um, I've had a couple um, and they generally will work with me for like, you know, 18 months, two years, and okay. then like mm-hmm. we'll move on from each other. Yeah. It's really hard to find someone that you'll spend a heap of time with yeah. and then still be good friends with and yeah. want to spend time yeah. with them. And shout out to all my previous tour managers because I love them all and we're mm. all on really good terms, but it is really hard to work with someone in that environment. Yeah, exactly. And like I'm a bitch when I'm tired. Yeah. I'm a total <laughs> bitch. I'm not a nice person to be around. Like no one really is, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it's quite a demanding job for them. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think you really need someone who you get along well with and who can make it fun. Yeah. Um, but then also kind of pull you into line and make mm. sure you're looking after yourself. Did you find That's the good. same thing? Yeah, I just found obviously, you know, being on the road all the time, just being exhausted. Yeah, it's pretty loose to a manager too. Yeah, I, was, I mean, yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, we won't get down, we won't get down as, that realm. No comment. But um, yeah, obviously, like like you were saying, it's exhausting and just always having to to show up for not only your your audience but your team as well. Like it, it is exhausting. So there's, I can see how that would be a, a thing, like having to sort of always be finding someone new. Not not always, but on the sort of 18-month mm. timeline, like, that's probably healthy. It's probably a healthy thing to do. Yeah, I agree. Because, yeah. like, otherwise you just get on each other's nerves way yeah. too much. So, let's take it back a little bit. So, your early 20s, you're traveling the world, playing all these shows, uh, assuming drinking most nights. Mm. Uh, I guess, how does that, that actually affect your mental health? And did you have a very specific routine that you would follow to try and, and keep that uh, sanity and stability? No which is probably why I was like all over the place back then. Like it's crazy to think about how much I slash we used to drink and party (laughs) and be fine and like do it the next day. Like if I drink one day now, I'm stuffed for a week. So like, yeah, no, back then I really wasn't looking after my health too well. I was drinking a lot, partying heaps, eating shit food, not sleeping. Like I remember we were living like we… 
or like I hired an apartment out in LA for like six months and used that as like a base to like pop over to Europe yeah, and back nice. to America yeah. and blah, 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 yeah. whatever. And I remember we'd just go out on like a Tuesday night. Yeah. Just cause like, you know, someone was throwing a party. Like mm. what the heck? Yeah. Why? Go to sleep. So there was a lot of like that. Um, and there was no kind of routine in my life of trying to be healthy. And it's probably in like the last six years that I've really started to, you know, realize how important it is to be working out, to eat healthy, to, you know, sleep. And don't get me wrong, I still love to party, but I definitely do it away from work yep. now. Mm -hmm. And I think when I realized that there was that real separation between working and partying and I was actually running like a really successful business. Yep. And I, you are your business. Well, yeah, I shouldn't be partying and I should be looking after myself because yeah, I am the business, right? Or the core of it. That kind of changed a lot for me and changed my perspective in a lot of ways. Was there a catalyst? Was there a specific moment where you just looked at yourself and you were like, I need to stop doing this. I, you know, was there a, I guess, you know, you need to deploy maturity at that age mm. as well to, to be able to make that transition. Mm. And what did that look like for mm. you? I think it was probably, it would have been like six and a half years ago. And I remember really embarrassing myself in front of like my colleagues just because I was so out of it. Mm. And I remember waking up the next morning and just thinking, girl, you've got to pull yourself together. Like if you want stuff to, you know, go to the next level, you have to make some changes. And I feel like so many DJs and musicians and creatives go through that. And it is embarrassing and it's really important to talk about because, you know, it's so hard to be in these environments where everyone is drinking and partying to like say no. Mm. Um, and it, don't get me wrong, it's freaking fun. Like <laughs> partying is great. And when you're young, you know, we all want to do it. But mm. then... Yeah, often you need like an embarrassing catalyst or like, you know, the worst hangover off and people, you know, push their health to the limit. At that time as well, I was like starting to notice like really bad tummy problems, like gut issues. And I was like, okay, this needs to kind of get sorted. And it took me years to sort that out, but that definitely was a big catalyst as well. Like seeing my body go through all these negative health repercussions, I mm -hmm. suppose, of not sleeping properly yeah. and stuff. So on that note, do you think that the music industry as a whole, you know, your management and booking agencies could could be doing a lot more to actually protect young artists? Yeah, 100%. But it's so hard because like, let's say I'm managing someone, I can't say, don't ever go out and party, don't do this, don't do that because, you know, you want the artist to have fun and you want them to feel involved in the industry and you want them to make friends. Yeah. And I feel like there's that very fine line. You look at, you know, tragic stories like, you know, Tim Berg, like Avicii, like what happened to him through, you know, the drinking and the traveling. And I think the his story was he was 19 and he played 420 shows the first year that he was out. Mm. Like, crazy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I definitely think that, yeah, artists and management need to take responsibility to be looking mm. after their artists. And it looks different for every artist. Mm. Um, and I think it's really important for people to be having conversations with the artists that they're working with or with creatives to be like, what does rest look like yeah. for you? Like, how do you recuperate? Like, what is important for you? Because a lot of people don't have the ability to say no to things mm -hmm. or they think they have to say yes to everything. And even now, I'm really proud of how good I am with it. Mm -hmm. I like take so many holidays. I take so many weekends off. And Kieran, my agent, is like, God, I want to book you a show on that weekend. I'm like, no. There's no way. No. It's tricky because their job <laughs> is to, to bring you revenue, right? Their job yeah. is to, to bring yeah. you income. 
Um, and bring themselves income as well. Yeah, mm. of course. Yeah. So it's tricky finding that balance, but I think, you know, communication at the end of the day yeah. um, goes a long way. Mm, it's very um, important. I wanted to ask, like, just for any sort of aspiring musicians, we've actually got one in the room right now. He's doing doing quite well for himself. But for anyone out there that's listening that kind of wants to get into music, like, what would you say are a couple of the key things mm. that they need to to do to make a mark in this industry? It's like becoming harder and harder because it's such an oversaturated industry and there's so many people that, you know, want to be a DJ or a producer or an artist. I think perfecting your craft and being really confident with your skill set is really, really important first and foremost because like for me, I know with DJing, I practiced for like thousands of hours to like make sure that I felt really confident that I could get up on stage with, you know, whoever and be confident with my skill set. Um, and I, then I think after that, like branding is really, 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 yeah. really, really important because at the end of the day, like if people can't associate with your brand, then they're not going to listen to your music or they're not going to come to one of your shows. And it is really sad because there's so many really talented producers and DJs out there who have like not much personality or... Mm really poor branding, um, maybe they're not great on camera or great talking to people. And all these things really are so important, if not more important, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. than just the music or the DJing or the art or whatever Absolutely. it is. Yeah. So I think that that's, yeah, very, very so important. So on that, on that note, uh, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt that you're a fantastic performer. Um, but how much of your success do you attribute to the uh, coloured hair? Heaps. Yep. I was going to wear my coloured hair today, actually. Uh, and I, I, <laughs> I had an idea this morning to run past the heart to wear wigs during the podcast. <laughs> oh, we should have done that. That would have been so good. <laughs> but I have a bloody power outage at my home this morning. So I had to have a cold shower and couldn't like straighten or cold curl any of my wigs. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so. Uh, but that's a classic sure example of you coming in. Like for, for your shop, for example, right? That mm. was. Did you have the blue hair at your shop? I had… Half purple hair. So yeah, I had like right. brown yeah, on right. top yeah, and then yeah. like my purple tips yeah, at the end. Yeah. yeah. But that's just the classic example of you walking into a room. There's what, maybe a 50 or 100 other contestants and just instantly making you your mark. stand out. Mm. Like you're just instantly making your mark without playing a track yet or anything like that. Then you jump on stage. You've got that stage presence. You're playing great tracks. Mm. It just goes to show that what you said before, branding and your personality actually is the yeah. X Factor, yeah. Yeah, it, it is crazy because it is so much of the success stuff, mm -hmm. like the su success puzzle. Branding, how you look, how you hold yourself, how you talk to other people. It's really, 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 really important. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it is. And it's something that you can't fake or mm -hmm. force. And I know 100%. it's something that so many... DJs and artists struggle with, um, especially, you know, if they're in their room producing these banger tracks, but then yeah. they don't actually want to get on stage and perform or they don't want to go to a radio station and talk to people or jump on a podcast because it's just not what they're good at. And that's really, really difficult. I think that's actually what I realized in my career. I was, I was thinking, oh, I'm just going to produce all these tracks and I got signed to all these labels and blah, 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 and whatever. But I never actually had the personality I was scared to get on the mic when I was on stage like I was no, this is this is me it's being this is me being raw like yeah. legit I'll I love sit, it, sit in the studio all day with anyone some of the biggest people out there make great tracks but then on my Instagram I post like once every six months like there's nothing there was nothing that people could connect 
mm. um, meet with other than the music. So mm. I think that's a massive thing like for any sort of producers or musicians out there, definitely make sure you're tackling both and actually have a personality. Yeah, and it's like I see it all the time and it is so rough because like mm. you're literally one of the best producers out there and your tracks are just so good but if you don't want to be out there performing and talking to people and stuff that creates so much anxiety yeah. and stress like how I could kind of relate to like you know big periods of touring mm. so much anxiety and stress and it's like just not conducive for you mm. as a human to be doing that stuff which is yeah it is hard so really have hard. you found have you found the studio life? Because you've you've been actually working on a lot of tracks in the studio. I yep. think Jay Sounds, you've been yep. working a fair bit with him as well. Yep. Like it, I love him. He's great. Yeah. It's really, really good because coming from a musical background, like it's really hard for me to <laughs> I hear all these ideas in my head and like need someone to help me translate it into like the computer programs. Yeah. I use Ableton for all my mixes and do kind of all that stuff myself, but I've really struggled to find like an engineer that I can work with really well. So finding Jay yeah, and work… But yeah, finding someone that you click with and that I can come in and be like, hey, I was thinking this and this and I'm on the piano and I'll pop in a few chords and he's yeah. like, yeah, I like that. I don't like that. Yeah. We've got a really good relationship and so we're in a really nice routine now mm. writing stuff which is awesome and I think that is um, definitely a massive barrier for a lot of people um, and a lot of women I think in particular as well um, if you are musical or even if you're not musical and you know what you want to hear like learning the programs mm. takes a long time like I even remember learning how to put like my own mixes together and ideas together on Ableton in the beginning and it does take a lot of time and practice you know it's kind of like anything and you can't do everything yourself. I've really learned that in business. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm really excited. We've got some cool tracks coming out hopefully nice. soon. I'm trying to work with some just different vocalists. And, yeah, my aim for this year is to start writing music that I love mm -hmm. because I feel like I've been writing music for clubs, yeah. um, which I was, obviously. Um, but... With COVID and being able to change up my style a little bit, I'm definitely playing way more like houseier now. And when we listen to music at home and stuff, it's like only really like house music mm, and like yeah. it's not banging EDM. And don't yeah. get me wrong, I absolutely love it and it's so much fun mm -hmm. to play out. Mm. But with how things are moving at the moment, like there's still a lot of ups and downs and ebbing and flowing with the types of gigs that I'm playing. So I'm excited to be writing a bit more of a diversity when it comes to music. Um, nice. So, yeah. Cool. So on a personal level, um, how different would you say that Dara is from Tiger Lily? I think quite similar. Mm -hmm. But just like me, I'm probably a little bit less confident than my alter ego, Tiger Lily. You know, putting the wig on definitely gives you like a sense of like, let's go. <laughs> <Rockstar>. <laughs> it really does. And I think it like, I don't know, it keeps me young and makes me feel, you know, yeah, it gives me so much confidence for jumping on stage and yelling into the mic and playing ridiculous tunes and, you know, just grooving out with everyone. And I've, you know, been doing it for 10 years now. And I say to my friends, oh, come to the club. And they're like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> probably gonna sit at home and watch Netflix and yeah. then I'm like you know putting my wig on and feeling like super into it so I definitely think it helps actually me a lot having some sort of visual mm. yeah. kind of character I can which step into which creates separation right 
Yeah. yeah. And then I think, um, so I changed my hair back to kind of natural, even though it's, you know, still totally bleached mm, yeah. to the shit house. <laughs> um, when like I met Scott and I noticed that, you know, when I met him, I was like, yeah, this this guy is the one. And I would have had bright blue hair still. And like, you know, people would come up and talk and ask for photos, especially like in Australia, because this is, you know, where I'm from and I've been playing here for so long. And I wanted some separation between my work life and personal life. Um, and in actually doing that, it created a heap of separation for me as well, because I was able to soften a little bit into myself and, you know, let myself be emotional or tired or whatever it might be mm. and then step into the tiger lily personality when I'm performing. So it was actually really beneficial to be able to do that. So, Don't look at my regrowth. I'm getting it <laughs> done tonight. It's really bad at the moment. So let's lean into that a little bit. Um, how did you and Scott meet? I mean, mm. I know the story, but I feel like our listeners might want to yeah. listen to it. So we actually met 10 years ago longer at schoolies. Mm -hmm. I was staying in the apartment below him, but didn't know that at the time. And I don't actually remember meeting him. Apparently he remembers <laughs> meeting me. But um, <laughs> so we met because um, his best friend is my cousin and they were living together. And, you know, they just got in like a boy's house. And so obviously Mitch, my cousin had, you know, a cousin that was a DJ, me, and was like, can we come out to your gigs? You know, all the boys are keen. And I was like, yeah, sweet as, whatever. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of how we met. And at that point in time, I was traveling so much and like, you know, constantly touring. Um, and like having a boyfriend wasn't really on my radar. So this is 10 years ago, right? No, this is now five years ago. Okay. So we met 10 years ago. Yeah. You're and playing then school five days. years yeah. had passed. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and yeah, so this was was whatever 2016 yeah. and then you know I was casually seeing another guy but you know working too much touring too much and this guy was just a bit of a douchebag and I remember speaking to my friends saying god I feel like I'm really ready for a boyfriend I would just really love like a nice a really nice awesome guy and then in my head I just thought of Scott and I was like oh my goodness I think that's my person I don't even know him but like I want to know more about him. Anyway, so we went on a date. We went on a couple of dates and then I was going overseas for four months and I was like, shit, I'm going to stuff this up. Like, I really want to make things work with this guy because there was something so different about him. He just has the most like fun but calming energy. Um, and so anyway, then he ended up like meeting me in Europe and then a couple of months later, or maybe six weeks later, meeting me in America um, so I took some time off in between shows and we like hung out and stuff. And then, yeah, it was official ever since. So you guys have just gotten engaged too. Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> so happy. <laughs> yeah, we got engaged almost three weeks ago. So definitely in love bubble shock stage. I look at my finger and I'm like, whoa, what just happened? Like, <laughs> Do you want to tell us that story as well? Yeah. Do you want to hear it? <laughs> so we were, guys, take notes. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, take notes. It was pretty epic. We were um, in WA going on a holiday, which we'd had to change like twice because of COVID. And so we were really, really looking forward to this holiday. Thank you. Anyway, we'd been talking about getting married for a while. We've been together like four and a half years. So, you know, it's kind of… Next step. Yeah, the next step. We live together and have for three years and we've got a dog mm -hmm. and have had him for three years. So, you know, it's not like marriage is going to change 
and the world for us. So I've been sending him some rings I liked and we've been talking about it, you know, but he was still sending me rings. And so I thought he was in like ring design phase, like choosing something Mm -hmm. that he liked. I didn't Mm -hmm. think he had like locked and loaded and sealed the deal kind of thing. Um, So my friend's like, oh, will he do it on this holiday? And I was like, no, no way. He's still sending me rings. In fact, the night before we left, he sent me a ring that I hated. And to the point, I got really emotional about it. He did it to... (laughs) say, stop sending me rings, bitch. Like I've already chosen one. But because I was, you know, sending him things and he was saying I was sending him contradictory ideas. And as soon as he designed this and bought it and got it, he was like, all right, no more ring chat. Mm. But I didn't know that. So I was still like, oh, I like this element of this. And so he sent me like the ugliest ring I've ever seen. And I actually like cried. I was like, do you (laughs) actually think I would like that? Like, what's wrong with you? I had to go for a run to like get off my like bad vibes. I was so pissed. Anyway, we, um, woke up on this beach the first morning of our holiday and Scott had been so obsessed with getting like a sunrise drone shot, like to the point where he'd bought new propellers for the drone. (laughs) The night before we pulled up kind of late at our campsite and, and, you know, we cooked and washed up and then it was dark. He was like, I've got to change the propellers. And I was like, babe, it's eight o'clock and pitch black and windy. We're on a random beach in Perth. What the fuck are you doing? (laughs) Why? He's like, no, I'm like, you've got 10 more mornings of sunrise shots to get. And he's like, must be tomorrow. And I was like, okay, whatever. Anyway, apparently he didn't sleep a wink that night. It was just like lying there, playing it out in his head, being like, okay, yep. Okay, what if this happens? Shit, fuck, okay. You know, just like going over it time and time again. Anyway, we woke up and he's like, I'm going to get a drone shot. And I was like, all right. Was lying in the tent. Our tent was overlooking like this beautiful white sand, crystal clear water beach. And I was like, I'll lie here amazing. He's like, come be in the shot. And I was like, "Mm, okay, look good on my Instagram. (laughs) He does take good drone shots, you know, so it'll be a bit of fun. I went downstairs and like started to put on some clothes and he's like, you can't wear that. I'm like, why not? (laughs) And he's like, have you got a white bikini? I was like, I've got a white one piece. And he's like, yeah, that'll be perfect. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, so I'm like wandering down to the like beach. It's pretty cold at this point because the sun, sun still hasn't risen. So like my feet are freezing and I was starting to get shitty because he was like putting the drone on an auto rotate setting so then he could come and propose. <laughs> but he just kept like practicing it. And I the pre-footage is of me standing there shivering, looking up, like glaring at this drone, like come on, Scott, like, hurry up. <laughs> Did you have any idea at this point? Or no what? idea. Nothing? Like, literally, zero percent. I, I had 0% so of an idea until I saw him on his knee. Yeah. Anyway, he was like, all right, face out toward the water and I'll come and run into shot and we'll, like, kind of run into the shallows, you know. Like, the, it was, like, mm. one of those beaches that was shallow for ages. So I was like, all right, cool. Anyway, he's like, look like you're having fun. And I was like, okay, woo. I'm freezing. (laughs) Anyway, and then he's like, turn around. And I turned around and he was on his knee. And I was just like, holy shit. I've been thinking of this moment like ever since I met this man. And like, it's finally happening. It still doesn't feel real. Like it still feels like... Yeah, just crazy. Anyway, like 200 meters away, there was the only other couple on this beach and they were up having a sunrise swim and they saw us. So then they start wolf whistling and clapping. And by that point, I hadn't even said yes. I was crying and like gasping. I think I said, (laughs) is this a joke? (laughs) Like, what? Are you serious? Anyway, we had the best morning, had a whole bottle of champagne. The couple from the, you know, down 
the beachway, like brought us beers and we chatted with them and then we just spent the whole day, you know, swimming and calling our family and yeah, it was pretty epic. Go check it out on my Instagram if you want to watch it. Wrote a few ideas. Thanks, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Have to make it epic. That's it. So for a change of pace a little bit, uh, you've been an uh, animal rights activist for a while now and Mm -hmm. vegan, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I initially went vegan just before I met Scott actually, so like five years ago, five and a bit years ago, and I went vegan for health reasons, um, talking about like the tummy issues Mm -hmm. I was, you know, saying before and, you know, I was working with a gastroenterologist at the time to try and help myself but, you know, I don't know, he wasn't giving me the answers that I wanted so I took my health into my own hands and was doing lots of Googling and researching and seeing a lot of people have like really positive effects on every element of their health from going vegan. And I was like, stuff it, I'll just give it a go. Funnily enough, I'd always wanted to be vegetarian as a child. I remember like at Christmas one year, eating like the lamb or turkey or whatever it was and like pretend chewing it and then spitting it on the floor. I would have been like three or four, like super young. And I got in so much trouble because I was spitting my food on the floor. And I was just like, I just don't want to eat it. Like, you know, and then mum was like, look, when you cook for yourself, when you're older, you can become vegetarian. Um, I don't think a vegan was even really a thing back then. Mm. Um, But then, you know, you, you... your life moves on and you kind of forget about these things that you really wanted as a young person or you might have been connected to. Um, So I initially went for, yeah, for total health reasons and started to notice these epic changes in my body, Um, like my skin, my energy, my weight, like everything, even my like gut and all that kind of stuff. It was really, really, really helpful. So after like six months of seeing all these epic small but epic changes, which for me was a lot back then being pretty unwell. I was like, I've got to actually look into this a bit more. Like what actually is this? And that's when I started to kind of realize and get passionate about the animal rights side of things and of course the environmental side of things as well. Um, And now I'm definitely vegan first and foremost from the animal side of things. The health benefits are just like extra pluses, which is really, really great. But Scott's definitely not vegan and like most of my friends aren't vegan. So it's, you know, it's a really beautiful way for me to live. And I think to try and inspire them to eat more plant-based is like really epic. Um, But I'm not one of those like crazy strict vegans that has to only have vegan friends and, you know... (laughs) My dog's not vegan. Scott's a massive meat eater. And so, yeah, it's just, it's been a really good learning process. And I feel like I have been on this vegan journey of coming into it from a really narcissistic point of view, just Mm -hmm. caring about my health, realizing how many other people I was impacting and animals by going vegan Mm -hmm. and becoming super Nazi and like, you know, fuck off if you're not vegan kind of attitude. And now I'm just like, cool, everyone can do what they want, but this is my choice and I'm really happy with it and proud of it. Sid's, uh, Sid's been trying to get me to, <laughs> to get on the veggie veg diet for a while now. How's it going? Yeah. Uh, you're He's not going to go. You got Solera. This is a plug for Solera. Maybe we can get free meals for the office. Yeah, <laughs> they're really good. <laughs> yeah, I tried it out, but um, yeah, it's pretty pretty difficult for me to be honest. I think but, it's, it's a way... Um, I mean, to to take that leap, you have to unlearn everything that you know about nutrition. Mm. 
And yeah, it's it's sure. not about stacking things up. It's about literally unlearning the way that you've been brought up, mm. uh, what these foods do for you. Like mm. most of it, it's literally marketing. Yeah. Like, I've seen the positive, definitely seen the positive changes in, in you and… Should we do a seven-day challenge, a seven-day vegan Why challenge? Not? Let's do it. It's on record. It's the one. Seriously, today. yes. Oh my God, crack. I'll send you some links to my favorite stuff. Yeah, yeah. it starts today and we'll film every single day in the office to make sure you stick to it. The problem Done. is though, with a seven-day challenge, you need to do like a six-month challenge, I reckon, to actually feel the benefits. Uh, I like how we're pushing now. <laughs> I was planning on just not eating for seven days. That's, that's how I was going to get to it. Was it was a seven-day no. water fast. No. So are we committing? Yeah, let's do it. Let's right. yeah, awesome. Okay. Okay. Yeah. First little step. <laughs> I think you're so right with that. Like you have to unlearn everything. And it's hard for me to watch people eat meat because like you look at the actual stats, not the stats that have been swayed by, you know, the big companies that want you to think a certain way. And it is true. Like a plant-based diet is literally the healthiest thing that you can do for yourself, for, for, for your brain, for your bones, for your organs, for your longevity, for everything. But there are so many things that we've been taught for our whole lives that have told us. My mom still says, where are you going to get your calcium from if you don't yeah. drink milk? And I'm like, milk isn't that high in calcium anyway. There are so At many all. other plant-based alternatives where you can get way more calcium, you know, just Things like that, we just have to really unlearn it. And mm. it is really difficult because there are so many people and billions and billions and billions of dollars invested in making sure we think that meat makes us strong mm. and milk gives us bones and eggs are really healthy for you. You know, mm. all this stuff, it's just hardwired into our brains. So it is really difficult. Go oh, you. And go you for <laughs> yeah, seven days. <laughs> I believe uh, in you. Yeah, well, that's, right. <laughs> that's it. Let's do it. <laughs> Um, no, it's it's epic that you that you sort of talk so strongly about uh, about that side of things and also the mental health. We know you're obviously a massive advo advocate for that. Mm. Um, what are some tools that you sort of use on a daily basis to to keep your mental health in a good place? I love that man. Fuck, he's so good. What do you love? <laughs> just just these questions. Like I feel like even our progression on how we like run this podcast is insane. It's progressed, elevated. The question that we asked, there's so much depth to this question that you just asked, man. And also the way it, in which… give ourselves a pat on the back here. <laughs> yeah. Well done. Well done. <laughs> the way in which you have been linking the yeah. questions, it's epic. Everything's so well thought out. Mm. I love it. You're not like Thank jumping you. from here to here. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> Um, sure. Mental health. Well, that actually links back really directly mm. to veganism because yeah. your gut health is so linked to your mental health. So for me… Going vegan was a massive way for me to feel better mentally, just like from like a chemical slash physiological perspective, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes me feel really stoked every day that like I'm not killing any animals. Yeah. That's pretty epic. Um, but meditation, of course, I use, I'm a really basic bitch. I use an app called Headspace. Yeah. I'm not a great meditator, but you know, jump on there. Do 10 minutes. Love that yeah. for me. Is that is that a daily practice for you? Yeah, it is. And I've been really trying to be a bit more stringent with it because I'll go, you know, like five days every day and then I'll do it every second day and then I'll jump back on the everyday thing. So mm. I've been really trying to be a bit more, yeah, particular with it because I do notice a whole heap of benefits from that. Mm. Which, Jamie, how's that meditation going? It's actually good. Yeah, yeah. I use a calm up a fair bit. Yeah, calm's and, great too. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really helpful. Mm. Um, and then exercise as well for me is massive. Like it just 
makes me feel good. It makes me sleep well. Um, and sleep is obviously so important for mental health. Um, so that's something that for me is really, really important. Plus, of course, all the other things like, you know, being able to communicate with all the people around you, having really good relationships, mm. you know, all that kind of stuff is a given. But yes, yeah, sleep, exercise, good food, meditation. So for someone that feels like they're in a bit of a bad space or, you know, someone that's gone through a lot, which there's a lot of people out there who are, what What do you sort of, how do, how do you help these people or what's mm. the message mm. for these these type of people out there? My first thing I would say is that if you have access to or can afford to go and see a psychologist or a counsellor or something, do that. There's so much shame around seeing someone professional for help, but like they're there for a reason mm. and they are so helpful for us to understand why our brains work the way we are. Mm. Um, but if you don't want to do that or if you can't do that, I honestly think like shifting elements in your life um, like instead of, you know, lying in bed and scrolling on your phone for half an hour, get up and go for a run or a walk or a swim or literally anything, get out in nature and move your body. Mm. Like that is so important, so, so, so important. If you're only getting like five, six hours sleep a night, that's like way not enough. You need to be like turning maths off, turning off the project, turning off whatever you're watching on Netflix yeah. and like go and get into bed early, get yourself some blue light blocker glasses, turn your phone off at 6 p.m., eat before 6 p.m., like yeah. do like do a little bit of research into yeah. like how you can make your sleep better because when you're sleeping better, you're going to feel better, you're going to want to exercise more and all of these things kind of work like a snowball effect. Mm. As I'm sure you both know, yeah. like when you jump off any of those routines or bandwagons, you start to feel really sluggish and you don't want to do it. But, you know, you never regret a swim or a gym session or a really good sleep by, you know, cutting something out, whether it's a dinner or watching a show. So I would really encourage people to look at like those elements of their life, like mm. what they're eating, how they're sleeping and how they're moving their body because that is so, so, so important. Answer. Yeah, mm. you, you, you don't change your life through goal setting. You change your life... Uh, by changing habits. So yeah. I think the approach should be what habits are you going to implement to actually improve your state of mind? Mm, 100%. And even like changing things up, like listening to podcasts, mm. which for me are, you know, so important. I listen to so many different ones and like just love them because it's such a great alternative to listening to the radio mm -hmm. or, you, you know. Your favorite, favorite podcast? No, nah, it changes all the time. I listen to so many different ones. I've been listening to one at the moment that I actually just went on in Melbourne. It's called She's on the Money and is like all about financial literacy for women and helping women step up to be financially empowered. So I listen to that. I listen to motivation ones. I listen to health ones, to music mm. ones, to like so many different things. And I think it's just a great way for people to start consuming like media in a way that's really helpful and fun and interesting and educational. Mm. And you can learn so much from podcasts compared to, you know, just having something on the TV. I think that's really interesting as well. Like there's there's that saying that you are the average of the five people or whatever. I can't remember the exact quote, but you're the average of the five people you hang around with most. And a lot of people might look at their circle and say, well, no one here is inspiring me. Well, mm -hmm. how about you have a look at who you're following, what you're listening to, that's the easiest way to start surrounding yourself, so to speak, mm. with people who are talking about positive things. Yeah. Um, and, and some people don't realize that what they have is not a circle, is a cage. 
Yeah. You need to break free from that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you guys listen to a podcast called The Mindset Mentor? I've heard of it. No, I've never listened Thanks to it though. He does yeah. these like really short episodes, like kind of 15 minute, talks really quick, gets all this information out. But he does some really handy episodes on things like this and it's talking yeah. about how your media consumption affects you. Even down to like song lyrics, right? Yeah. If you're listening to someone shouting at you like... Mm. I don't know, vulgar, intense lyrics all the time, which, you know, is great for some situations. But like, how is that affecting you energetically? Because at like the end of the day, I know this is a bit woo-woo, but we are all just, you know, energy. Mm -hmm. So like, how is that kind of, you know, messing with your energy? And like, look at like what you're consuming every day from music to Instagram to TV to even the interactions you're having Mm -hmm. with people and how it affects you. I just got a tattoo energy on my chest (laughs) four days ago. Did you? Yeah, that's me. That's so sick. I love that. <laughs> oh my God. Whoa. How crazy is that? <laughs> sick. I love that. Yeah. What? This podcast, eh? <laughs> um, all right. We've got uh, a few more things on there, do we? Um, no, Actually, th- there's one thing that I wanted to touch on mm. uh, and it's back to your relationship with Scott. Mm. Um, how much is um, Scott affected by the level of attention that you get, especially on social media, etc.? Is that something that you guys talk about quite often? Mm. Um, Actually, he. this is one of the things that attracted to me about him instantly. He is like not jealous at all. He's so like strong in himself that like these things don't really affect him. So he rarely, rarely, rarely gives a shit about it. He is so cool. And yeah, we actually don't really talk about it that often because it never really comes up. And he is very aware that when he met me, this was my job. Mm-hmm. And he's very aware of all the perks that my job brings us um, as a couple. And so, yeah, he's really cool with it. And now that he's, you know, present on my social media and has been for years, like I actually don't really get creeps or anything anymore because they all know that, you know, I'm in a happy relationship, which makes it really awesome. Good. At the start, there were definitely a few instances where, you know, he was probably made to feel uncomfortable and we mm-hmm. spoke about it. And like, you know, you just make sure that I'm making him a priority mm-hmm. um, exactly. and people, you know, know about him. So he's not hidden. I hate when people like hide their partners on social media. It yeah. blows my mind. So he's awesome. And that's just, yeah, one thing that you know, shout out to Scott. He's a legend. He's shout just… Shout out to Scott. Yeah. <laughs> he won't be listening to this. <laughs> He's like just so deeply rooted and confident in himself that not much can shake him, which I think is a really beautiful characteristic of someone. And Self-confidence. Yeah. And he's, you know, we butt heads a lot with so many different things. Like, you know, he's very not vegan. And you know what? Very not big. Wow. <laughs> I've learned to just accept that, yeah. you know, that's him and that's part of his strong will personality. And if he didn't have that personality, then I wouldn't like him. So I have to be really grateful for that. Yeah. I read a quote not long ago, uh, which said, love is incapable of asking for anything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't ask to be vegan. It doesn't ask for a ring. It doesn't ask for a marriage. Mm-hmm. So it's beautiful to, mm-hmm. uh, to hear that. Thank you. Very grateful. So one thing that always kind of stood out for me has been your ability to literally not give a fuck about the public's opinion uh, from, you know, dating different genders to coloring your hair, wigs, uh, and flying the flag as a, an animal activist, right? So you've always, it seems like you've always stayed very true to yourself. What advice would you give to someone who's actually struggling to live up to their own nature? Mm. 
it's actually really hard. And like, I know I seem like I don't give a fuck, but like I do for sure. And things do get to me, but I think that you have to have really strong skin to like, you know, be a creative because people, or and to be, you know, whether it's a DJ or a singer or an artist, because people not only question what you do, but they question you. So I think at the end of the day, what's kind of kept me grounded is I know I'm a really good person. um, And that over anything is like the most important thing for you to be a kind person. Um, So I think that is like the core of what's kept me believing in myself and all the different things that I do. Um, so I would really encourage people to like strip back all the layers, the layers and unlearning. Unlearning, yes, one hundred percent. We love unlearning. <laughs> Bring it back it. to like what what you love about yourself and what you believe about yourself, um, because that is what's really gonna get you through when people are questioning your credibility or you know what type of person you are or how good you are at your craft or whatever it might be. Um, so yeah, I think it is important to yeah remember why you're doing it. Having thick skin and learning to have thick skin is yeah super important. And it is okay as well to let things get to you, but you have to really keep that in check because I know like loads of DJs who have let it get to them so much that they get so much anxiety yeah. that they mm. can't do it anymore, which is <laughs> really hard. Yeah, yeah, like it that. is really rough because you know we are throwing ourselves into the public being like, this is me. And then for some reason, the public feels like they can question everything that you do, which, you know, I get it. We put ourselves out there, but you have to be willing to have that kind of negative backlash for whatever it might be. Mm. Beautiful. All right. We're now on to a segment of this podcast that we called Rocket Fire Questions. So, Jamie and I will be asking five questions each. It's actually nine. (laughs) (laughs) So, it's five and four. four. Uh, So, I'll kick it off this week. So, if you could turn back time and change one thing about your journey, what would it be and why? I would have taken my health more seriously at an earlier age because I would have loved to see what I could have done with my career if I was taking it like a serious business from day one. Mm -hmm. I feel like I could have kicked heaps more ass. That's bad. (laughs) Uh, What's the first thing you do when you wake up every morning? Mm, Turn over and give Scott and Lenny, boyfriend and dog, a kiss and cuddle. (laughs) Number three, uh, what are your three dream dinner guests, dead or alive, and why? Oh, this is (laughs) such a hard question because there's so many cool people. (laughs) Okay, Dead Mouse, because I love the shit out of his music and he's like super bitchy and controversial, so I feel like he'd be (laughs) a really entertaining um, dinner guest. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. Um, I'm just trying to think who else. It's such a difficult question. Dua Lipa because she's like been my obsession for the last 12 months and I love everything she does from her music to her branding to her socials. I feel like she's just so authentically herself and like for me as an artist, it's really inspiring kind of watching her you know, do her thing. Um, Love Julie Lipa. Yeah, me too. She's amazing, Musical. isn't she? <laughs> <laughs> Julie, if you're listening. <laughs> oh my God, can you imagine? We'd love to have you on this podcast. <laughs> uh, or for dinner. 
And then I think the third person might be David Attenborough because I just love him and would love to pick his brain and he just is really inspiring the work that he's done and like how he's dedicated his life to showcasing the environment and animals is pretty cool. What a dinner. <laughs> I know. It doesn't really make sense, but I would just like to have conversations with all of them. <laughs> yeah. oh, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, what's the last new thing you've tried? Ooh, that's such a cool question. Um, I tried a watermelon margarita on the weekend for the first time and I really liked it. Where from? That sounds good. My friend made it for me, actually. <laughs> she brought all the cocktail ingredients to our house and made all different flavors of margaritas for everyone. It was really cool. Write that down. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. Um, if you could only suggest one book, what would it be? Ooh. Okay, the book would be The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. I know it's like super cheesy and like, you know, loads of people read it and like have these life-changing moments. But really for me, I remember reading it. I was in Croatia and just gone through a breakup and was feeling like a total asshole. And I read this book and I was, it was the first time that I like actually woke up and like made the connection to like being alive and awake and totally in power of what I was doing which was crazy at like 23 to have lived 23 years just like kind of sleepwalking was mm. pretty a big, you know, shock for me. So that's what I would recommend. It's crazy. Actually, I've actually given that book to Sahar who coordinates this podcast. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she hasn't read it yet. <laughs> Bitch, read it! <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's like it's an easy read. It's not something that's like, you know, really difficult to get through. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um, I think it's from my parents and it is, you know, do something that makes you happy because you spend your whole life doing it from like a work perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really important to love and feel empowered and inspired by what you do. Mm -hmm. um, so many people, unfortunately, don't have a choice. And I feel really lucky that I had a choice to choose something that I love. Um, but yeah, we spend the majority of our life working. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you choose something that you love? Powerful, an Powerful advice. Mm. Where are we? Okay, so when you reach the pearly gates of heaven, what do you want God being him, her or they to say to you when they greet you? Oh my God, I love that that's how you just defined God. <laughs> it makes me so happy. Oh my God, I don't know. I feel like I just like a high five and a hug and I hope that God being they had organized like all my friends and family who were already in heaven to be just like waiting there with a massive bottle of verve. That for me would be awesome. That's a plug for verve as well. <laughs> Molly Anderson, you're right there. Sponsor me, please. <laughs> That's epic. Uh, I actually what, want to touch on that quickly. Uh, why is it they for you? I'm not religious at all. Um, and I don't believe in anything like God-wise. I definitely believe in like there being some sort of mm. power slash energetical connection between whatever, time, space, all of that. 
Um, but I really hate institutionalized religion and how it's, um, th- that is literally like, I feel like the first thing that started the patriarchy yeah. and saying that like men are better than women. And we can just see like the trickle down effect of how like God as a man has been, oh, it's just affected so many things in society. And I just read this book called Untamed by Glennon oh Doyle. God. I'm reading that at the moment. Yeah. So I actually, I listened to it as an audiobook and I hated it at the beginning. There was just something about it that like hit a nerve for me. And when I hate something, I have to keep doing it because there's obviously a reason why you don't like it. Like it's something that's yeah. like, um, like it's a, a mirror to you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there's obviously an issue. Anyway, ended up loving the book at the end and found so many really great, powerful messages in there. But Glennon always refers to God as a woman. And I love that. And I find that so powerful. And the reason why she does that is just because until God is referred to as not just a man everywhere, she's like, it's my responsibility to get people thinking about, you know, the divine feminine and all that kind of stuff, which I love. Nice. Yeah. Uh, next question, what motivates you daily to be the best version of yourself? Definitely my relationship, mm-hmm. um, my family and friends for sure and like being a dog mum, so having people and animals to, you know, care and be responsible for I think is a big thing. Of course, you know, wanting to feel good and look after yourself is a big motivation but having people that you want to care for around you for me is probably my biggest motivation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Last question. What does the word defiant mean to you? Mm, It's such a good word. It means being so truly yourself that you're able to step into, being able to be yourself so much that you are able to like step into a new space and to be on a new level to, you know, defy all odds, to be loud and proud and out there. And for me, I suppose it just allows me to feel truly myself, which I think is really important in like, you know, the ocean of people. It's really um, powerful to be completely yourself. Does that make sense? It just, yeah, being like really honestly and openly yourself so you're able to kind of move into whatever you want to do. Yeah. Absolutely epic answers on on that segment there. That section was so good. I feel like you should like do… <laughs> questions. Yeah. And I love the it. name for that as well. Yeah. Um, so you're playing a bunch of gigs in the next few months. Where, where are you playing? Where can people find you? How can Everywhere. they buy tickets? On my website, there's like a link to all my tour dates. Um, Keep in mind that they are changing a lot. Mm. Like I was meant to be playing on the Gold Coast this weekend, but like, you know, things are really fluid at the moment and we're just having to kind of move with that. But yeah, all my dates are on my website so far and it's really exciting. I'm kind of going all over Australia in the next six months, which is really wonderful that like clubs are opening up again. And even though there's still, you know, restrictions on numbers and all that kind of stuff, Mm. we're kind of getting back into it, which is very exciting. Yeah, it's really good to see. Any any shows that you like really like stand out for you that you're really pumped about or? Yeah, I've got a couple of festivals coming up. Yeah. Um, there's one in Perth, one in Newey, one on the Goldie, um, which is really exciting because it's been a really long time since I um, have played at a festival. Mm-hmm. I'm also playing at like my home in Sydney, the Argyle at the end of this month. And it's been like five months since I've played there. So that's going to be really exciting. Um, and 
I've played a few times lately in Darwin, like in the last, mm. or twice in the last 12 months, which is a lot. And they've had like no COVID there whatsoever. So every time you go to Darwin, it's just like a rave cave. <laughs> so I'm actually really looking forward to going back there as well because no, people good. are just loose, no restrictions whatsoever. Yeah, good. It's been an absolutely, uh, absolute pleasure having you here, Dara. I mean, I think I can speak on behalf of the both of us. It's been a pleasure witnessing your journey mm. in these last 10 years. And uh, thank you so much for your time today. Oh my gosh, thank you. thank you for having me. It's been so nice to chat and see you both. I feel like it's been way too long, so yeah. thanks. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Woo! Woo!